0: Uh, Yes, they are. Whoa, it's Jim Laskowski coming in uh, live on Director's Club. This is another exclusive bonus episode of Director's Club. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say exclusive because, as I said, I'm putting this in the main feed because I want this to reach a lot of people. I'm excited. And it's a nice bridge between uh, the last episode because I have the same (laughs) guest, the same voice on the line with me today but you know I don't go to many film festivals uh, and I wish I could I wish I could just fly out to all these festivals Uh, and I'm always excited about the local one in particular you know and then and the hosts of this particular film festival are of course members of the Chicago Film Critics Association and they've been guests on this podcast in the past And the event takes place at my favorite movie theater, the Music Box. I'm talking about the Chicago Critics Film Festival, which takes place November 12th through the 14th here in Chicago. So if you live in the area, please come out. Joining me to talk about a few of the titles playing is someone that doesn't live in Chicago, but you know him, you love him, and he's going to be contributing his own bonus content within uh, the next week or so. Glad to have you back, Mr. Bill Ackerman. Thank you for having me back. I... uh...
1: Yeah, I, I I was telling you before we started this recording that uh, I've seen quite a few films since the last time I saw <laughs> any of these films that we're talking about today. So hopefully, I still have some coherent thoughts about them, but I'll do my best.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I'm really interested in hearing about the film festival experience, uh, you know, in a place like New York or LA. It's always cool to hear when uh, other podcasters get to go to these things because. Obviously, Chicago is a big city, and it represents the arts pretty extensively in a lot of different ways, especially with theater. But, you know, the Chicago International Film Festival is renowned, and I've gone to that a couple of times. But I have been attending the Chicago Critics Film Festival since the beginning. I think I may have missed one when I was living in Michigan, but for the most part, I've been supporting this community and this gathering since opening night. And it's also a nice bridge to to the next episode I'm recording towards uh, the end of the month with Kate Blair, because the first movie I saw at the Chicago critics film festival, which was the very first uh, edition of the film festival was stories we tell. And uh, Sarah Polly was there in attendance. I got to uh, talk with her for uh, like a minute or two, which was great. And there've been a lot of great, premieres and, you know, uh, guest appearances throughout the run of this festival. I mean, titles that have played include A Ghost Story, Lucky, The End of the Tour, Columbus, First Reformed, Support the Girls, Eighth Grade, In Fabric, and so many more. And we have had guests like Sarah Pauli, Joan Cusack, Bobcat Goldthwaite, John Carroll Lynch, Paul Schrader, William Friedkin. The list goes on and on. So this year is a sort of a truncated version. Usually it takes place over the span of about a week, but this time due to COVID, I think we had to trim things down and only go for a weekend. Uh, A lot of great people put this thing together and they spend a lot of time and a lot of effort. So I I'm, I'm grateful for a lot of my uh, my colleagues who you know, go, go, go out of their way to make this happen. You know, guys like Eric Childress, Brian Talrico, Robert Daniels, Steve Procopi, Sarah Mars, Peter Subchinski, and Colin Souter. So without further ado, I want to run down uh, a list of the titles that are playing starting Friday night, November 12th. And the first one is indeed The Lost Daughter, written and directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal based on a novel and it stars Olivia Coleman as a divorcee on holiday whose chance encounter with another woman and daughter causes her vacation to take a dark turn. (laughs) And it co-stars Dakota Johnson, Ed Harris, Peter Sarsgaard, and of course one of my new favorites actresses on the planet, Jesse Buckley.
1: Miss Caruso. Welcome. Thank you.
0: Excuse me, I work at the beach house. Just let me know if you need anything. Great. Get up! Mommy, get up! You don't have kids? Yes, I have two daughters. Big girl. She's trying to make great. What were your daughters like when they were little? I can't remember much, actually. This is a title um that my guest has seen. And obviously without giving anything away, Bill, what did you think yeah. of the lost daughter? I think it's a great film. Um, And the novel is,
1: uh, for anyone that is a fan of hers, uh, Elena Ferrante, I believe, is the novel. Yes. But, um, um, you know, I I went into this cold, and I I don't really like talking about plots uh, too much of of films that people haven't seen yet. I would say that, without spoiling anything, it feels to me... I I, I thought of... um, French films that are like meditations on the thriller rather than thrillers themselves. Um, I, I don't know how, what I mean is like, um, like certain films like by Claude Chabral or like even things like um, with a friend like Harry that came out like, you know, years later, but like films that feel like um, like a lot of uh, like emotionally complicated characters, like in in, in a series of tense situations that feel kind of fraught with menace but aren't really building towards a um like a uh, like a chase scene or a kind of violent showdown like it's not quite building towards like a hitchcockian thing but it it feels uh tense in a way that like you might associate with the thriller um that's i don't but know it's character it. driven right like but yeah the- but it's more yeah it's more character uh study kind of film and um you know i was thinking about this with the, the the list of films that uh you told me that we might be talking about that i had seen and uh what everything what they all have in common is that like none of them are about likable characters overcoming uh obstacles to achieve a goal like they're all they're yeah. all films that like deal with um not traditionally sympathetic kind of main characters and lost daughter i think when um when viewers get a chance to see it i think olivia Coleman is phenomenal as in the lead part, but it's not, uh, it's not an easy character to like. Um, and you get to understand why she is the way that she is, but, um, I'm, I'm curious if many people will check this out because of her or Jesse Buckley, uh, or Dakota Johnson and, um, whether or not they will, uh, find that to be a barrier or not. I'm very curious to see how it's received. I know critics are going crazy over it. Um, and understandably, because I think that it, you know, it, it, this and the um, the Jane Campion film, what we're talking about, are like, you know, both based on novels. And they unfold kind of like novels. Oh, they good. aren't like, uh, yeah, they aren't like uh, qu- quick-moving point A to point B kind of plot structure kind of movies. I, I think that they, yeah, they, they kind of reveal their hand gradually, which I, I like a lot. Um, yeah, like I said, I went into this with no real expectations. I thought... Oh, well, you know, I know Maggie Gyllenhaal as an actress. And so, you know, I wasn't, you know, never could be too sure with like when famous performers become filmmakers, what, you know, what that's going to look like. But yeah, no, this was, I mean, you'd never know it was her first film. I mean, it's, it's as short as anything I saw at the festival, really. I think um like, that, in, that's exciting. yeah, any degree of hyperbole that you're going to hear about it, I, I, I get it. I mean, I I don't want to, hype people up too much in advance because you know kind of it's kind of a subtle movie it builds kind of slow but uh, i think it's very good i think i think um and it's worth seeing in the theater i know people will be able to check it on netflix too but i mean it will be one that you'll walk out wanting to talk to somebody uh when it's over talk about it i that was actually the frustrating thing seeing it at the festivals i went by myself and i had to just be like i can't talk about this with anyone for a couple months now
0: (laughs) oh yeah well that's another reason why the film festival is so cool is because there's a lot of familiar faces come to the theater uh, to support great f- cinema. And I'm always excited for when uh, an actress that I've long admired or appreciated their work in the past, uh, someone like Maggie Gyllenhaal, I want to see what they do behind the camera. And clearly, I think she's g- going to be what they call, you know, an actress director where you get a good ensemble and they all come together and support her and tell this amazing story. And it sounds like this is a, a case of uh, great acting on display, but a really compelling narrative to accompany it. So I'm excited. Yeah.
1: And it's not, and it's not like, like an actor letting their actor pals just choose scenery, like its own service of, yeah. of mood and, uh, character. Like it's not, uh, It's not handy in any way. Um,
0: And I've heard heard that a lot of the heavier moments often rest on, uh, on Jesse Buckley. And I, I, and she, I mean, I, I've not seen her more powerful in anything else than this. Awesome. She's the main reason why I, I I adore, I'm thinking of ending things. I mean, obviously I love Charlie Kaufman, but I also kind of wish, I want him to just keep writing original scripts and not, book adaptations, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, she really brought a lot to that role and, you know, changed, <laughs> changed personalities in some cases throughout that movie. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to see her career evolve and certainly the debut from Maggie Gyllenhaal. Next up, we have the power of the dog playing right after the lost daughter. What a double bill to start the, uh, Start the festival on Friday night, and is the mm-hmm. long-awaited return of the great Jane Campion, another favorite. Uh, this is her. Is this her first feature since Bright Star?
1: Uh huh. I believe so for, wow. for theatrical films. Yeah, yeah.
0: Because she did Top of the Lake. I remember that. Yeah, and that was a mini series.
1: Only another minute.
0: And this stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst, Cody Smith McPhee, and it uh, sounds really intense. And it's her sort of remaking the American Western, and uh, t- touching on themes about manhood and intimacy and revenge. And oh man, I I am on board for just about anything Jane Campion does, and with that cast and. A very moody, atmospheric uh, teaser trailer that I saw. I haven't seen the new one. I'm going to avoid that, but I really liked yeah. the, the the teaser where it's just you know doesn't show you too much. It was like uh, a little bit, <laughs> kind of like the Serious Man trailer, almost just focused on rhythm and the the mood and the score and all that. So I was I was like, bring it to me! I can't wait for this. So this is probably the yeah. one I'm mo- the most looking forward to based on everybody talking about it you know everyone who's seen it has said this is going to be a an awards contender so i i think that if i think if paul thomas Anderson
1: had directed this like <laughs> like like the exact same film but just like his name on the credits and this was coming out theatrically it would be like a sure thing oscar contender like i have no idea how netflix will push it or if Jane Campion like plays the political game, you know, in terms of that kind of award uh, kind of film. I mean, I mean, it feels always weird to talk about films just on that. Yeah, no, that's
0: true. That's true. We we don't want to frame it that way.
1: What I would say, though, is that. um, Yeah, I I think this is, again, like uh, even just as much as The Lost Order, it's a great great film. I mean, one of the best films of the year. Um, uh, I think, uh, this one, again, it's going to be on Netflix, but I feel like this is the one that you want to see on the big screen even more because it's composed for like a, like a wider canvas. I feel like there's a fair amount of shots that are, um, you know, uh, of the characters kind of from a distance. So it might lose something uh, on streaming. I, I don't know. I've only seen it on the big screen I'm, so I can't say but that feels like it might impact this one more than The Lost Daughter as far as like seeing it home versus seeing it on the big screen um, but you know it's it, it's like a Western superficially um, you know in that there are horses and cowboys and, and such but um, I feel like the themes of um, you know the masculinity and sexuality um, they would apply pretty much the same in a contemporary setting so I think it's going to uh, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. I, I mean, I don't know if the the period trapping is going to scare off people that don't think they're going to be in the mood for a Western. Cause I, I don't think that there's any Western cliches about it. Like it's just, you know, that's just the setting of the novel and they, she didn't change that. But, um, you know, I think um, I, so I mentioned uh, Paul Thomas Anderson has a Johnny Greenwood score.
0: Ooh. And it has that
1: same kind of like, like I think about there will be blood, not in terms of the plot, but just in the way that it it's, it's like a technically assured filmmaking on every level. And then it, but it doesn't build towards the kind of um, like melodramatic climactic conclusion that a mass audience would find satisfying. It might kind of move slightly to the side of what I think would make it a real commercial film. I, I, I don't want to spoil anything. I, I, it's, but like, um, I, I think, I think you know, any amount of hyperbole that is spoken about I think the film probably lives up to it. I, just on a first viewing, I have only seen it the one time, um, but it's one of those films that I was enjoying it in the moment, and then, like, kind of reflecting back on it from scene to scene. There's so many strong things. It's the best performance I've seen of Benedict Cumberbatch. I, I haven't seen a lot of things with him, but. It's by far the strongest you know impact he's had for me. Um, you know, it's funny, I just think about because you mentioned um uh I'm thinking of ending things. So and here we have Jesse Plemens in, in the other big Netflix yeah. <laughs> award film. But uh yeah, no, I think um I think Power of the Dog is I mean, it's it's up there with Jane Campion's best films. Um mm-hmm. you know. Uh so I don't know. I think people will like it. I mean, I, I'm curious to see again because it's going to be in everyone's home, you know, because of Netflix. I wonder, you know, if audiences how they will respond to it. I know critics are going nuts over it, but that isn't the same thing as, you know, the public. So I'm I don't know, but yeah, if you're trying to sell people out on, on a night to go to the festival, I mean, Lost Daughter, Power of the Dog double feature is like, I mean,
0: <laughs> I wonder what the I wonder what the Academy Awards are going to lean towards you know again i don't like thinking in terms of awards and like oh that's that's how you measure a film's merit and that's how you know it's uh, important and why we should talk about it but at the same time like is it gonna be a because when i see the trailer for the kenneth brana movie i automatically go well there you go there's gonna be the top of the oscar you know list this year because it looks like the ultimate It, it looks like it could be another green book situation where it's an audience pleaser and but then again they they went with parasite one year so that's what they're so unpredictable but I I don't know I yeah. just I just think she deserves Jane Campion deserves a lot of recognition that yeah, she certainly got it with the piano so it's not like that was a little while ago now though. Yeah, that's true <laughs> that's true a long time ago but Whew.
1: You know, and I what, I what I'd say, though, like, I mean, obviously the Oscars are, are you know, silly and have a million problems. I would say that they help certain films get seen by a lot of people that wouldn't normally see them. And these are two films that, um, you know, they are not going kind to of build franchises around them. They're not like, you know, action films. They, they will probably not have the same kind of international exposure as films that are like, you know, more spectacular in terms of the You know, special effects and action and all that. So I think that that those kind of awards do help people find out about them. I mean, you know, so (laughs) it it doesn't. It is a good thing for either one of these films to get recognized in that way because, yeah, I they they could just be good sleepers that only you know play festivals and through critics if they don't get like a certain kind of larger push. Netflix is, I mean, a giant service, so I mean, people will be able to see them, but things also kind of get lost in the sea of content there too, if there's not hype. Um, well,
0: you know, even, even my aunt, who's not a cinephile at all, you know, she saw Roma just because of all the buzz surrounding it and everybody talking about it. But, uh, you know, it turns out she didn't, that's not her thing. <laughs> she watches like, nah, that's, that's not my thing. I'm like, okay, I understand. But, uh, there's, I'm going to fly down some titles too, because Some of these we haven't seen, some of which I haven't heard of, actually. But, you know, they've got the ringing endorsement of all the critics here. Playing late at midnight is Zalava, which is a demon horror thriller uh, possession movie of some kind. (laughs) It involves an exorcist attempting to rid a village of some kind of demon. So I guess Mm -hmm. it's an appropriate movie to play at midnight. Takes place in 1978 in a small village in Iran. So that's, that sounds interesting. I hope I can stay up. <laughs> and then on Saturday afternoon, the fun begins with Colin Souter's always enjoyable and well curated short film festival showcasing, I believe, seven titles. And uh, local Chicago actress Claire Cooney will be in attendance for the final selection, which is called Go Ahead, Grab Time by the Throat. Gotta love that title. Uh, yeah. I, I always try to go into this part of the festival cold without even reading any synopsis because it plays the way Colin puts this together. And he does a great job every time. It's like a, a, a mixtape in the form of short films. And he puts these together in a specific way in a specific time. And I, I try to just like immerse myself into the whole experience. Cause it lasts about like hundred minutes and it's, Again, like a like a like a little playlist that he puts together, and it's always great. And he's always been passionate about short films and writes about them for Rogereber.com. And then after that, we have Roy's World, Barry Gifford's Chicago, a documentary which I saw a rough cut uh, a couple of years ago in the smaller theater at the Music Box. But I remember being in a little bit of a daze, and I need to see it again because geez, this might have been might have been two years ago that I saw that and I enjoyed it. Um, and I'm a huge fan of Gifford's collaborations with David Lynch, of course, and he's an accomplished author who has led quite the life. And, uh, there's some narration from Willem Dafoe, Matt Dillon, Lily Taylor, uh, and, and just sort of captures 1950s Chicago with like some jazz music. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, It's definitely, you know, the the kind of documentary you expect with some archive footage and talking heads and animation and, you know, spoken word. But it, it, it talks about his life in a way that's not unlike the way he writes. And it's a collection of interesting stories that, you know, he talks about what he's been through, particularly with his mom. I know you know the name, obviously, Bill. (laughs) We'll be on
1: a podcast together, but not uh, recorded together.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Coming up. That's awesome. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm dying to see this. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I mean, that's, that's one of the, of the titles you're listing off. that has already been on my radar is one I want to see. So hopefully soon.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I I don't, I don't know if it's gotten official release this year or if it's, I'll find out about that when I'm, when I'm there. But um, next up at 5 p.m., that's when I'm going to be grabbing some dinner, (laughs) because I've already seen this next pick, and it's quite good, which I described uh, to Bill as kind of like if Darren Aronofsky directed Whiplash, and that's this film called The Novice, which as I was watching it made me wish I could get into rowing (laughs) the way I once did with swimming. Because you really see the physical strength and stamina that it takes to be a uh, professional rower. And uh, Isabel Furman plays a queer college freshman who decides to join her university's rowing team and undertakes a very obsessive physical and psychological transformation to make it to the top of the varsity team. And, uh, you know, pushes herself beyond limits in, in ways that, like I mentioned, remind me of, uh, Black Swan. It's directed in that same manner where there's moments where you think she's going mad just because she's really, really doing a number on her body and mind as she's, you know, basically neglecting self-care and sleep in some instances, just so she can practice late at night. And, uh, I understand her drive and passion to become great at something like that, you know? And it's, it's like, I wish I could. I, part of me is like, God, I just need more, more time in the day and, uh, you know, work less hours at <laughs> the day job to where I could get up at early in the morning and just focus on something like this. Like, I wish, I wish there was a, a swimming pool I could just jump into at six in the morning or something, you know? But I, I definitely recommend everyone check this out. It's very good. It's man. Isabel Furman, who was an orphan. If you remember that film, uh, a very memorable performance in that she's great. She's great in this. It's a, uh, it's a very good film. It's quite intense. It might. And, and in fact, it may make you want to hit the gym because there's a lot of scenes that take place, uh, in situations where, yeah, she's really pushing herself physically. And then right after that is Bernstein's Wall, which I know very little about outside that it's about uh, the composer Leonard Bernstein. So that's that, and I'm sure it's good. Right after that, we have a taut thriller about a former boxer that embarks on the fight of her life when she goes in search of her missing sister. This one is called Catch the Fair One which uh, I haven't heard of, but it's the second feature for Tribeca uh, Best New Narrative Director winner, Joseph Kabuta Walatka. <laughs> Hopefully, or, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. <laughs> I always have trouble with plen- pronunciations. People are used to that. Um, but yeah, that sounds really good. And we're ending this wonderful Saturday night, of course, at midnight with a 40th anniversary presentation of one of my favorite Michael Mann films, and that is Thief with James Caan and a great slew thing. of great character actors. Uh, yeah, I wish you weren't playing so late, but I might just have to grab a coffee around dinner time. Since this is playing in 35mm, and, and it's a great film to celebrate the city of Chicago with, having never seen it on the big screen, I think uh, I owe it to myself to take in Thief at midnight, and I'm sure lots of that
1: people... Was- That would also be a way to see it then without Michael Mann's revisionist color timing that he does on the Criterion release. So if you want to see Thief the way people saw it, then you would want to check out that screening.
0: (laughs) Good call. Yeah. And then Sunday, we start off the day with a, uh, I believe, an anime title. I think, yeah. It's called Bell. It's from Hosada and Studio Shizu. Creators of Myra, Wolf Children, Summer Wars. Uh, And it's a very fantastical, heartfelt story of growing up in the age of social media. Mm, That sounds interesting. Suzu is a shy, everyday high school student living in a rural village. For years, she has only been a shadow of herself. But when she enters a massive virtual world, she escapes into her online persona as Belle a globally beloved singer. Hmm. I'm, I'm down for this. Sounds cool. Hmm. After that, we have another anticipated title that I'm hearing great things about called procession, which is, uh, about six men who are all survivors of childhood sexual assault at the hands of Catholic priests and clergy. Uh, and it's, it's pretty heavy, obviously with that subject matter. Uh, they, they, create fictional scenes based on memories, dreams, and experiences meant to explore the church rituals, culture, and hierarchies that enabled silence around their abuse. So, oh yeah, we're in for for something special with this film I'm hearing, so I can't wait for that. And then something um, a little more uplifting with uh, this horse drama. (laughs) Can't get enough of horse dramas, right? (laughs) <laughs> the the big selling point is uh, clifton collins junior is the lead i believe and he will be there for the q and a following his latest film called jockey in which mm-hmm. he plays an aging jockey that hopes to win one last title for his longtime trainer played by molly parker who i really really adore as well so that's great that's a great run of films there and we close out the festivities with a title that Bill has seen from Sean Baker, who oh, I adore his last two films so much. And that uh, I'm talking about, of course, is a uh, red rockets, which again, I know nothing about. You said you're never going to
1: step a foot in Texas again.
0: I know this is unexpected. Oh, nothing with you is unexpected.
1: Your last job is over 17 years
0: ago. That's quite a
1: gap. Well, you know, I've worked almost every day for the last 17 years. I moved back in with my wife last week. No, I'm calling the cops. Fuck. Oh. Really? Eight. We decided to make a run of it. I just need a place to crash for a couple of days. What's the big deal? Mikey, go fuck yourself. All right, look, I'm going to be straight with you. I'm an adult film actor. Excuse me? So why are you back, Mr. Hollywood? You're Mikey. Welcome back, dude. I'm on top of my game right now on like every single possible level. Physical stamina. My mind is sharp. I'm taking 5-HTP for serotonin in my brain. Yeah. With my skill and ability, there's no denying what I can do. The universe is on my side, bro. Before long,
0: it'll be like we're still married. We are still married. I'm excited for this. It stars Simon Rex, of all people. (laughs) That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. So what'd you think? I,
1: I, I liked it. I mean, Simon Rex was not someone I knew at all. Um, Cause I had seen him in the forsaken like 20 years ago. And that is the only time I've ever had any exposure to him. I don't even remember that film at all, but I looked into his credits after I saw red rocket. And I guess he's known for being an MTV VJ or yes. for doing music is, is, was dirt nasty? I, like I, I, he has like seventy acting credits, but I, I don't know him really. So, um, he's fantastic in this. Um, yeah, it's it's like Tangerine and the Florida Project in that it's another film kind of set in kind of working class environment. But um, I don't know. It, it's I, I, I thought of I thought of films as disparate as like. Henry Fool or Naked or even Miami Blues, as far as like it's about mm. like this not completely uh, likable kind of character who's like kind of this charismatic fuck up who drifts into town and starts shaking things up, um, but he's not he he's I mean antihero is is even is a kind way of putting it. Like he's not a sympathetic character in many respects, but he's you know you kind of he's he's kind of your. Uh, he's your protagonist and you kind of have to go on the journey with him. But it's, you know, it's like a, um, you know, satirical slice of life comedy, you know, uh, I guess the, the the, the class setting that it's uh, put in gives it like a, um, like there are like political uh, undercurrents to it, but it's, it's mostly a hangout type, you know, uh, situation comedy. I don't want to spoil any of the jokes or any of the situations. So I'd say that, if I had a group of friends over, um, this would probably be the one that be most likely to, to play to a crowd of friends at my house, of, of the three films that I'm talking about here today. Um, it, it went over really well with the audience at the New York Film Festival when I saw it there. Um, I think you'll like it. I, I think it's... Um, I think Simon Rex, I don't know if this will like lead to him starring in more films, but he... I mean... Uh, he's remarkable as the, as the lead character in this. Um, so I, I, again, you see, cause you haven't seen it yet. I don't want to say too much more, but uh, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on it. When you do.
0: I see the poster has him, gosh, just <laughs> it looks like it's an 80s sex comedy. When you look on Letterboxd and you see the poster for Red Rocket, it's him naked in the middle of a donut. Um, and there, so yeah. again, like in, like in Tangerine, I guess there's some donut shop scenes of some kind. So Great. yeah there are, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah
1: I, I kind of, I'm glad I didn't go into it knowing even the premise because it kind of sells it as one kind of thing that I, I, I don't know, like, uh, <laughs> I, I find, I mean, I guess it, it's a, uh you know, fast forward if you don't want to know anything, but it's, you know, bat like, he's someone that, like, I guess was a former porn star, like, trying to kind of get his life back on track, you know. Uh, but he's he, he's the kind of character that is always just uh, out for himself and, like, kind of fucks people over at any given turn. Um, so I, I, he's not like a, um, he's not as extreme a character as Johnny and Naked, but I thought of someone like that. Like someone, oh, okay. just, you know, or Henry Fool, but like just somebody that is a big personality that kind of steamrolls people, but is, you know, uh, like very self-serving and like, you know, engages in some behavior that you're not going to probably be comfortable with. <laughs> uh, but, but it's
0: played for laughs
1: and it it is funny. So, Great.
0: Yeah. That sounds like a nice note to end on with the festival, yeah. you know, and it's funny you mentioned naked and that of course has David Thewlis. I almost feel like we should mention a Tony Collette movie now since that way we've covered the cast of I'm thinking of ending things. (laughs) I don't know if there's a way to tie it all together, but yeah.
1: Yeah, Like I said to you before, I, I I saw 92 films since the last time I saw any of these three. So I, I'm going off of like very hazy memories already.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's to be expected. and, And it's like, I don't know. I I can't do one of these festivals where even something like Sundance I was considering maybe I could try to see if I can you know get the the virtual experience with but man just binging on that many films at once I don't know if I'm wired that way like I I I have to take time to process things like I can I can watch obviously three or four movies in a row in one day and i certainly have but man the people who just binge and binge and binge and wind up seeing like you know 20 30 titles in a, in a small group of t- a small you know time frame it's like ah <laughs> makes me implode a little bit but yeah i'm well, I'm, I, I'm excited yeah,
1: I mean, all three of these are very much worth anyone's time that, you know, is a, is a, is a film fan or, you know, cinephile or whatever. I mean, these are all interesting works. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I you know, I, I'm especially keen on the two Netflix films, uh, The Lost Daughter and Power of the Dog, but Red Rocket, I i am very curious to see what people make of this too. But, uh, no, they, they all made a, a positive impression on me, you know, and I saw them among, like, like over 20 films at that festival.
0: Great. Well, thanks for talking with me, Bill. The uh, Chicago critics film festival takes place at the music box theater. All screenings are in person and proof of vaccination is required. Yes. And of course, masking mandates will be enforced. Films begin on time. Seating is not assigned. Yay. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a great weekend, everybody. So I hope you show up, Bill. I wish you were there, but I know you're you're hard at work right now. Uh, I know, and I don't know if you want to talk about all the things you're working on, but you can certainly hint at what the next bonus episode will be because it's all you. And I'm really thrilled. I'm really thrilled for this uh, particular experience you're about to have very soon. Yeah, well, I guess I'll be I'll be talking about. Um, I'll be talking about
1: zeros and ones, uh, the new Abel Ferrara film with, uh, Mr. Ferrara, the, uh, the last director that we talked about at length on director's club. So I guess I'll be talking to him, uh, by the time this episode that we're having now, I guess drops that uh, maybe I'll have already had that conversation, but yeah, I'll be doing an episode on zeros and ones his uh, new film with Ethan Hawke, uh, which I guess opens later this month. And, um, yeah, that should be interesting
0: <laughs> for sure. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for being here today. Uh, You'll be back next year for sure. And uh, I'll I'll be happy to promote all the things that you work hard doing, including uh, past episodes of your great show, supporting characters, which people can find over at the now playing network, of course.
1: Yes. Yeah. Keep an eye out for uh, that show. will return eventually. (laughs) And uh, I'll be on an upcoming episode of projection booth on David Lynch's lost highway. And uh genre grinder, uh Gabe Powers show on now playing, I'll also be uh on that very soon. So uh plenty of plenty of podcasting ahead of me.
0: <laughs> and we're all looking forward to it. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Bill. Please stay tuned for his amazing new uh interview bonus episode with Abel Ferrara as they talk about his latest film, zeros and ones. Very grateful once again to bill for being here. Uh, and, uh, I'll see you in a couple weeks for the Sarah Pauly episode with Kate Blair. Please visit directors club podcast.com and send me an email, directors club podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again. Take care. And I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.